Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is hour two. If you missed the first hour, we had some great conversations um, about the local church. We had conversations about how to reach out, pray for, call, invite, love your pastor appropriately and well. Um, we had conversations about church planting, uh, and we we also um, had some great conversations with um, with Hunter Baker uh, from Union University just helping us understand sort of where we are in the impeachment process. And we talked about um, some other things related to politics, but we, we landed um, in an interesting conversation about the use of technology, particularly phones in today's classrooms. And um, so that brought us to the place where we talked about note-taking in church. So I take notes in church on paper because I'm a pen and paper kind of note-taker. Other people take notes on um, on tablets or other devices. And so what, what really what we're trying to encourage people to do is remain engaged. And so that led one of our listeners to text in that she takes notes during the show, which I then have to say made me almost hyperventilate because I thought to myself, wow, this stream of consciousness um, may or may not be worthy of note-taking. But something worthy of note-taking will be Bill English, and I uh, we are going to have a conversation up next. We're going to talk about something that you guys have asked us to talk about, which is, I mean, I'm not sure you asked it this way, but listeners have asked to for us to talk about some like big financial categories that sometimes like we might have missed in in economics 101 or economics 101 was now so long ago like we've lived so many days since then that we don't really remember some of these terms. So we're going to talk about monetary policy. Do not go to sleep or click away. This is actually going to be a, an informative conversation about words that you hear but your mind passes quickly over them because you don't know enough about it for it to like set a hook in your heart or mind. So I'm going to talk with Bill English up next. He's from Bibleandbusiness.com. You can check it out. If you missed the conversation we had last week, it was excellent. Um, it was about how to clean up your email issues. Um, and so just to report back in, I still have 30,508 emails in my inbox. However, I deleted thousands of them this week, um, which means I have some kind of subscription problem. So I'm now typing unsubscribe into the search bar of my Gmail um, uh, to discover all the things that I'm subscribed to that maybe I don't want to be. So there you go. That was last week's little tidbit. This week, there's going to be so much more. Bill English up next here uh, on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Okay, so Bill English is back. You can check out what uh, he's working on at BibleandBusiness.com. Bill, um, uh, we have a second listener who said, I do keep a journal next to my computer um, slash radio. As I listen to the show, I often jot down some notes. 
uh, now I'm hyperventilating. I mean, me, this is Carmen. I, now I'm hyperventilating because now two people are take, taking notes while we're talking. <laughs> okay. So um, as a follow-up to last week's conversation about getting my email under control. Yes. Um, I am apparently subscribed to more than 100 things that come in every day. Well, congratulations. So just the <laughs> process of unsubscribing, I'm thinking, how much does it cost me to hire somebody to unsubscribe me? You like, know what? Because it's going to take a whole day. No, to... it won't. It'll, it'll, it'll literally take about an hour, hour and a half. That's it. <gasps> okay. You can do it. I have I faith can do it. in you. I'm I clearly need to. I don't even know you. what half these things are. Well, that's the point because, yeah. you know, they tell you that they don't share your email address. Clearly. Clearly they do. <laughs> Clearly they do. <laughs> okay, new topic for today. Yeah. By okay, the way, the pre- by the way, yes. I'm I'm down to 42 emails in my inbox. Ugh. I know. I'm going to send you 50 just to <laughs> just to balance this thing She's out gonna a little flood better. My inbox. I'm totally flooding your inbox. Spam him. Spam yeah. him. Because I'm I totally tell you. feeling so convicted now. Okay, so. Um, we get questions all the time um, just about, hey, could you just explain some basics related to, sure, right? So sure. some basics related to, and today we're going to just talk about some economic things. Yeah. In part because there's this event going on in Davos, Switzerland. And so we are going to see or hear some economic conversation. But there's a lot of economic conversation out there. We've got conversations about uh, conversations about trade deal with China or the new trade deal with Mexico and um, uh, and Canada. We've got all kinds of conversations. For most of us, Bill, the macroeconomic conversations that happen in the news are ultimately less interesting to us than the microeconomic conversations about our own household. But the macro affects the micro. It does. And, and so that's why we're having this conversation. And so you can just lead us off. Um, when we talk about something as big or wide as monetary policy, well, monetary sounds to me like money. It so does. when we talk about monetary policy, what are we talking about? We're talking about money policy. Let me really simplify this. Money policy is set by the Federal Reserve, which is an independent uh, organization that is not under political control, although the president does appoint uh, who the Federal Reserve chairman is and or chairwoman is. And the Federal Reserve uh, works with the banks to uh, control basically two things, the interest rates that we pay when we borrow money and the amount of money that is in the economy. That's basically what they – now they do other things. They do a lot of studies and and they do a lot of other things. But it's basically um, monetary policy concerns itself with how much money is in the economy and what are we charging for interest rates. Okay, okay so I know, but now I'm going to ask like a can I ask like a kindergarten question? Sure. So if we're going to take money out of the economy, are we hiding it somewhere? Like, are we? Is this? Is this? What when we take money out of the economy? What What does that mean? That means that we're trying to decrease the amount of money in the economy because the Fed thinks there's too much money in the economy. Now this is tied to a very basic principle, which is. Uh, which is this, the more you have of something in the economy and while demand stays the same for that something, the less valuable each of those somethings are. I I didn't say that very well. No, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Water, I don't have to pay as much for water in places where water is really abundant. But if I live in Arizona, I pay more for water than I do in Tennessee. Exactly. 
Okay. Exactly. No, I and, get that. And so the more money that is in the economy, if there isn't increased demand for that money and demand is expressed by people borrowing it to buy trucks, homes, invest in businesses, that kind of thing, then then the less valuable each dollar is. Okay. So if they want to make sure that they are not over overly devaluing the dollar, then they pull money out of the economy. Okay. So again, because there are kindergartners listening because people are driving around and they got kindergartners in the car. And the kindergartner is saying right now, a dollar is worth a dollar bill. A, a, dollar. Bill, a dollar bill is worth a dollar. So <laughs> explain to me, Bill, yes, about how the dollar bill yes. has greater or lesser value. Because now we're talking about it competing with other things, right? It has, it has value in the sense of what, it's, what it can purchase. So it's purchasing power. So what a dollar buys today probably will not be what a dollar buys tomorrow. Do you remember, go go back a ways, because you and I are roughly the same age. Uh, go back into our 20s when McDonald's had that commercial on the air where you could get a hamburger, a small Coke, and a small French fry for 99 cents. Do you remember that? Yes, or when gas was 99 cents. I remember when gas was a, a dollar a gallon, right? Yeah. Today... It now takes, give or take, $2.50 to buy that same gallon of gas, which means that over the last 30 years, the purchasing power of the dollar has steadily declined. So it's really, yeah, a dollar is a dollar. I get that. But the purchasing power of the dollar is what's really at stake when we talk about its value. And so what, what can a dollar buy? And that's where, you, that's where you get that concept. Okay. So Bill English and I are talking about monetary policy, but really we're talking about money and the money in your pocket and how far it's going to go. And so when we talk about the money in our pocket, um, when it runs out, then I have to borrow money from somebody. Um, So we talk about uh, a little bit of of that when we come back and we talk about like, because some of monetary policy is about borrowing money, right? It is, and then that, okay. and then that bleeds into fiscal policy, which will contrast with monetary policy. Yes, and fiscal is not physical. So no. there you go. We're going to make that distinction here in just a moment. We are having a very basic conversation um, and a little bit of fun doing it with Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com, and we are going to continue it in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. It's like the price, sunrise, Okay, so I am talking this morning with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com, and we are overcoming the curse of knowledge. So the curse of knowledge, Bill, I know that you didn't know we were going to talk about the curse of knowledge. I didn't know you were going to come out with that. But you suffer from the curse of knowledge, and sometimes I do as well. And the curse of knowledge is that we tend to use terms and terminology that we're comfortable with, but frankly... Other people in the conversation would very much like to stop us and ask the question, what are you talking about? I don't know what that word means or that word gets thrown around a lot. And I, you know, I think I know what that means, but I'm not really sure. Or maybe the meaning of that word has changed over time. So we are having we're we're trying to have a basic conversation um, about fiscal, F-I-S-C-A-L, fiscal or fiscal policy, fiscal things, right? Things that have to do with money. And so. Um, hopefully we are, uh, we are 
hopefully we're doing it in such a way that people's eyes are not glazing over. You sent me a note that said monetary policy. When I suggested we talk about this, or Paul did, monetary policy is about as exciting as watching paint dry. And so um, we do not want people to glaze over. We want them to be engaged. So tell us what fiscal policy is. Fiscal policy is really all about how the government spends the money and how they tax economic activities in the marketplace. That's really what it's about. Okay, okay so, so so when I so, think about taxes, yeah, when okay. I just I'm just gonna I'm I'm the curse of knowledge, right? Okay, right. so I'm gonna say when I think about taxes, I think about the taxes that I pay um, in property taxes. I think about the taxes that I pay for gas. I'm pretty aware of that. Um, I'm um, I think about the taxes that I pay to the federal government, that which is taken out of my paycheck um, every pay period. Um, and then I think about taxes this time of year because I need to be accumulating all of those, all of that information in order that I can file my taxes. Correct. So, but there's more going on in terms of taxation than that. Like companies that I am buying products from are also being taxed. Uh, yes, and and so is all kinds of economic activities from private inve- private equity that invests in businesses to nonprofits who uh, can. Uh, engage in economic activities without paying taxes. There's all kinds of things that the government is uh, is going to have an influence on. So the federal government basically sets fiscal policy. The Federal Reserve sets monetary policy. Now, just to review, monetary policy uh, concerns itself with how much money is in the economy and the interest rates that are charged uh, by the banks. The And that's a very much overgeneralization. For those who know monetary policy, you know I said what I said was technically inaccurate, pragmatically accurate. The fiscal policy refers to the to how the government spends the money that it gets and how it taxes to get money into itself so that it can spend money. That's just very basic. Okay, and, no, that's super helpful. All right, so um, let's talk about some of those big numbers. Okay. So uh, as of August 2007, we're talking about the Federal Reserve now, there was $856 million in our economy. By the time we hit January of 2015, there's $4.5 trillion in the economy. Okay, so how do we go, did we print that many more dollar bills from $856 million to $4.5 trillion, or are we talking about every time the money moves around, the economy grows? Like, is the money, see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's not based on how much it moves around. It's really okay. based on the supply of money. And there's there's different ways to measure that. Um, but the way that the federal the way the Federal Reserve gets money into the economy is that they work with the banks and they have the banks buy uh treasuries and in the banks buy those treasuries, that money goes back to the um uh, federal government. And for fiscal, for use in fiscal policy, and then the banks resell that money, and I shouldn't say resell, they reloan it out because they only have to keep a tenth of it on on the books, and there's all kinds of ratios they got to work with there. Uh, but that's how that's how money gets into the economy. They're not physically printing dollars because it's all electronic now. Okay, so that's the part that scares me a little bit that they're not actually like there's not they're not printing dollars that that move us from. Eight hundred and fifty-six million to four point five trillion in the matter of eight years. They're just adding money on the books. Yes, and that does that w- not freak anybody out but me? Because that seems a little fishy. Well, when when Obama came into office, there was ten trillion dollars of 
national debt. Today, there's 23. So between Obama and Trump, both of whom are big, big spenders, uh, we have accumulated another $13 trillion in, in give or take 11, 12 years, maybe somewhere in there. And so um, both presidents and both parties, this is neither party is, is guiltless here. Everybody in Washington is responsible for this debacle. And um, the, and then when there are negative effects from their bad fiscal policies, everybody expects the Federal Reserve to fix it through monetary policy. And the Federal Reserve has done what it can. When we have our next recession, the Federal Reserve is going to have very few tools to work with here. And I, I, I'm going to lose everybody if I start going into that. But no, I think we should – what you and I should do is we should personalize it and we should talk about – what we as Christians um, need to do. Yeah, uh, great. Let's First thing we need to do as Christians is get out of debt as much as possible, especially credit card debt and consumer debt. If you have an asset against which the debt is placed, you're in a better position, uh, but just get out of as much unsecured consumer debt as possible. And then try to save some money so that you can go a few months uh, without any income should you lose your job or should uh, the economy worsen to the point where your employer goes bankrupt or something like that. Or milk costs $6 a gallon. Yeah, because uh, eventually inflation is going to hit in this economy. We can't keep it where it is forever uh, at less than 2%. It is going to start to hit us. And there's some other things that we could talk about on another show that would feed into that. All right. So we're going to get out of debt as much as possible, and then we're going to save enough money to cover our own expenses for a few months. Um, But then I really like this other point that you've made, which is about our planning to care for others. Well, there is the next recession. I think everybody is pretty much in agreement is going to be even worse than the one in 2008. And uh, when that happens, there's going to be copious, enormous opportunities for the church to minister to those who have significant economic downturns in their lives. And But we can only do that if we're operating from a position of strength. If our membership is weighted down with debt, then our, then our churches are not going to be uh, effective or have a, a strength to minister to others. So it just seems to me that churches ought to be talking about this and ought to be encouraging their people to get out of debt, save some money so that we can minister to other people down the road. Okay, and this seems also to be a good a good conversation that everybody could have with their local congregation. If your congregation itself is in debt, like, right, we got we to gotta reverse that as well yeah. um, in order that we could be in a position as local congregations to minister to others um, uh, in addition to our being ready to do it um, as individuals, neighbors, and friends. All right, Bill, you and I have to leave it right there. See, I told you we could talk about monetary and fiscal policy, <laughs> and we could personalize it, and we could make it fun. So there you go. There you go. We've achieved the goal of the day. Way to go. You guys can uh, can get more um, good in, insight and information and engage with Bill at BibleAndBusiness.com. We'll be right back. Okay, so if you are a student of Scripture, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and you are a student of Scripture, and if you are a student of Scripture, then you are familiar with the Apostle Paul and his writings. But you may, um, but you may lack a like cohesive or, uh, well, like well-designed, put-together understanding of the Apostle Paul and his theology. 
And so Tom Schreiner, a number of years ago, like, I don't know, maybe back in 2006, um, he published the first edition of this, the book we're going to talk about now. And so uh, Dr. Schreiner's been at this a long time. And I, I tee this up in that way because I want you to know that when I say this is the book on Pauline theology that you would want and you would want for your pastor to have, um, I'm not saying that in a um, uh, to promo a book. I'm saying that because I have read several books on Pauline theology, and I can attest to this particular book um, taking you deeper and wider than other Pauline theologies do. So it's it's entitled Paul, Apostle of God's Glory in Christ, a Pauline theology. It's the second edi- edition. Tom Schreiner. Um, is the author, and he is going to be here next. We're going to talk about what's at the heart of the Apostle Paul, what's at the center of his theology, and then, you know, how do you see that in all of the letters that he wrote to the churches of his day and to the church today? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lucado. Zune Tulema lives in Ethiopia. Just a few years ago, he and his wife were so consumed with alcohol that they farmed out their kids to neighbors and resigned themselves to a drunken demise. But then someone saw them. A member of an area church shared Jesus with them. Then Meskaram Trengo, a World Vision worker, arranged a loan through the World Vision Microfinance Department. Within a year, Zune had repaid the loan, built his house, and reclaimed his kids. Could this be God's strategy for the human herd? Kind eyes meet desperate ones. Strong hands help weak ones. Then the miracle of God. We do our small part. He does the big part. And life begins again. This is Max Locato. Dr. Tom Schreiner is Associate Dean and James Buchanan Harrison Professor of New Testament Interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. His books include Commentaries on Romans and Galatians, New Testament Theology, Magnifying God in Christ, and The King in His Beauty, A Biblical Theology of the Old and New Testaments. He is joining us today to talk about the second edition of Paul, Apostle of God's Glory in Christ, a Pauline Theology. Dr. Schreiner, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. No, thank you. It's great to be on. So I'm going to ask you all the questions that people are afraid to ask a seminary professor because, you know, they're afraid of you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So um, first of all, um, who does theology? I I would say we all do theology. Uh, Either our theology is well thought out or it, it isn't well thought out, but we're all theologians. It's just how, how good is our theology? So that's my leadoff question, so that when we start talking about the theology of a guy named Paul, who is like us, a Christian, but unlike us, um, in, in that uh, he, had, he had some access um, that some of us feel like we don't have um, in terms of his transforming encounter uh, with Christ on the road to Damascus. Uh, and this this intimacy that it seems that Paul has with Christ that many of us long for. Um, and so t- 
tell us about Paul. Introduce us to Paul, um, and then let's talk about his theology. Well, Paul grew up in a very pious, uh, devoted Jewish family. He, he grew up in Tarsus, was probably trained in Jerusalem as a young boy, as, as a Pharisee under another famous rabbi named Gamaliel. He uh, was a, a passionate opponent uh, of, of Christians. Paul, Paul had a very zealous uh, personality, so he thought uh, Christians were wrong, so he persecuted them and even uh, put some to death, voted to put some to death. But he was transformed on the Damascus Road as he was going to Damascus to uh, persecute Christians. And Jesus Christ appeared to him personally and visibly and commissioned him to be an apostle. And from from there on, Paul devoted his life to spreading the good news about uh, Jesus. So I think Paul is different from us because he was commissioned to be apostle. I would argue none of us are apostles. But Paul does say his conversion in 1 Timothy 1, his conversion is a model and a pattern, not in its details, but in its, uh, in its type to all conversions. So I, I know that I, um, I am not being quick to ask you specific questions about the book. Um, and part of my um, strategy here is to, is to have people understand that, like, Paul's an old friend of yours. You have been examining um, Paul's letters and his life and his character and his theology for a long time. You have been walking with the Apostle Paul um, in this theological journey um, for a long time. And so when when you talk about Paul in this book, and again, the book is Paul, Apostle of God's Glory in Christ, Pauline Theology. The author is Tom Schreiner, and we're talking about the second edition. Um, this is not this is not first brush information. And I want people to know that um, because you have you have read and examined what others have said about Paul and his theology. Um, and what you are saying here, I think, really takes us to, to use your word, takes us to the center of Paul's worldview. Um, and so why don't you just take us there? Paul's theology might be complex, but take us to the very center of it. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'd say Paul's, Paul's theology is, he's, he's fundamentally God-centered and Christ-centered. What Paul, what Paul wants us to see is uh, the great uh, saving act <clears throat> the great saving act of God uh, in in Jesus Christ. So I think every Christian can relate to Paul because Paul says, look at what God has done in Christ by his spirit to deliver us from our sin, to make, to make us new people, to make us a new creation. And because of that, uh, give him praise, give him honor. Make him the center of uh, your life. I love, um, I mean, my life verse is Galatians 2.20. I love Paul's passion um, for the bride of Christ, the church, because of his passion for Christ himself. I love how Paul um, uses language to help us see things about Jesus that are um, not just 
sort of here on earth, but in, you know, in heaven, the glorified Christ. I mean, I just, I appreciate um, Paul as this wonderful example of a person genuinely transformed um, who then really wants other people to experience what he has experienced and to, um, and to walk um, in the, in the knowledge of the glory of who Christ is. I feel like that's what you are helping us to see. You are helping us to see that what's at the center for Paul is also what is at the center for each Christian um, walking by faith today. Yeah, Carmen, that, that's exactly right. Uh, I think Paul, Paul's passion, Paul's desire is that each, each person he meets would be transformed by uh, Christ's love. And that their, their lives would be swept up into the into the glory and beauty and and wonder of of knowing Christ, and 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 when that happens, uh, we we want to tell others about it. We it's not that we feel like we we have to tell others about it, but we want to tell others about it. We have a we have a desire to share. Um, what is beautiful to us, what has uh, transformed us. And and Paul's our great uh, model and example in that regard. That is a much more powerful and persuasive uh, motivation for evangelism um, because it grows out of a genuine love and not just the love of the other, but a genuine love of Christ and and who he is and desiring that the Christ who I know would be known to others who I know who do not yet know him. And I just, that's what Paul seems to be all about. And you really unpack that in such a beautiful way in this book. All right, Dr. Tom Schreiner and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to get into the book um, and we're going to talk about some of the themes that Paul um, explores, the inclusion of the Gentiles uh, into God's people, the power of sin, God's liberating work of grace, the unity of the church, um, as well as some of the neglected topics of Paul um, and his and his suffering. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with Dr. Tom Schreiner. Um, he teaches at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, but he also teaches um, all of us through his writings. We are talking today about the second edition of Paul, Apostle of God's Glory in Christ, a Pauline Theology. And let me just say, if you were thinking, you know, I would like to get my pastor a gift. Um, I would like to walk with my pastor through um, a study of the Apostle Paul let me just go ahead and say, this is the gift you've been looking for for your pastor. Um, and and just go ahead and trust me, this is good for Valentine's Day gift. This is good for um, a gift that you would give them, just an appreciation for who they are and what they're doing. It will be not only an encouragement to them, it will improve their preaching, which, you know, for those of us sitting in the pews, always something we're excited about and uh, and want to want to be encouraging. So, Dr. Schreiner, most of your students— um, are one day going to pastor congregations where there will be people who are in church but disengaged from the Word of God. Um, I feel like um, this is uh, this is an opportunity to speak to pastors about how to invite people into theology by inviting them to understand who Paul is and his worldview, um, because it's enticing. Yeah, yeah, I, I think— 
you know, when, when, uh, what pastors need to do, and I've pastored myself, we, we need to explain accurately, clearly what Paul said, and, and that's an, an amazing truth. And, and then, then we have to explain to people why it matters. So it's not enough. It's not enough simply to explain what Paul meant, but we we also have to explain what does that mean for our lives today, and that that may sound easy, but that's not easy. It's that's that's why we uh, call pastors. It it takes study, effort, prayer, but uh, when we look at what Paul says, I think, and and we really study it, I think we'll see that his message is. Is exciting. It's transforming. It's uh, it's radiant. It's beautiful. Let's talk about some of the themes that you unpack. You know, we're going to work from this center point um, of this passion that we would that we would know Christ, um, and then there are these themes that work themselves out from that that um, maybe that foundation. Um, and you talk about the inclusion of the Gentiles in God's people as one of those themes. I think that Paul is often um, dismissed as exclusive, and in fact, he's quite inclusive. Can you talk about that? Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, Paul Paul grew up in, as a Jew, and the Jews were God's chosen people, God's covenant people, but there was always the promise from the beginning that the the good news would go out to all peoples everywhere and and Paul more than any other person in early church history trumpeted that theme that the the good news about Jesus is for all people uh to the ends of the earth and uh you know the amount of time Paul spent traveling on voyages uh you know, he his body was punished uh, doing all these things, and he suffered. So he his love for all people is uh, is quite remarkable. And uh, I think for most of us, we, we could not even just physically take what Paul went through to to bring the love of Christ to others. Paul um, doesn't mess around uh, when we're talking about the power of sin. I think we often talk in the culture about the um, you know, the power of Christ's sacrifice to overcome the penalty of sin. We do not often talk about um, the power of Christ over the power of sin and its influence in our life right now. But Paul Paul talks about that a lot. Well, that's that's right, and and if we look at the world, we know there's something wrong with the world. Just read the headlines, just read the news. And honestly, if we look within who we are in and, our, in and of ourselves, what, what, what does Scripture say? Uh, there, there's something wrong with us, and, and what is it that is wrong with us? It's our sin. It's our rebellion against God. It affects us in, in every dimension of our lives. And, but Paul argues there's, there's hope. There, we can have optimism and confidence. God in Christ has promised for those who put their trust in him that uh, we will experience ultimate triumph. Now we battle against sin. But even now, I think Paul promises in his letters that we will have substantial, significant, and observable uh, victory over sin. Not perfect victory, 
but uh, there's there's reasons for hope in, in our in our lives even now. One of the things that um, when when I'm studying God's word, you know, if you've if you've been in it a lot over the years, you hear the echoes from other places. Um, you know, when we're reading the New Testament, we hear the echoes of the Old Testament. When you're reading Paul, you you say to yourself, "Hey, I think I've heard him say that before." There are some recurring. Um, images, analogies, themes that that come up over and over again. One of the things that I want people to know about this book is that Dr. Schreiner helps you make those connections. If those are not connections that you easily make in your mind, um, those connections are made here. And so he helps us see, okay, we know that maybe Paul's primary image that he uses for the church is the body of Christ. Well, here are the places um, where that that not just that language, but those images emerge in Paul's writing. And so when we're talking about the unity of the church, Dr. Schreiner really helps us in this book see how um, that works itself out uh, across the letters that Paul wrote to the churches of his day and certainly to the church of our day. Um, Dr. Schreiner, um, thank you. It's a it's a magnificent um, work. It's a it's a work that I know uh, grows out of um, your life's work and your life's walk with the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments and your walk with Paul. Um, anything that you want to say to listeners as we as we leave this conversation today? Yeah, I'd, I'd want to say uh, re- be sure to keep reading Paul for yourself. It's, uh, it's uh, exciting. It's intellectually exciting, I think, but it's, it's also spiritually transforming. As you read Paul, I would say uh, read him intelligently, ask questions, but also read him read him prayerfully. Ask God to speak to you. And uh, the greatest thing of all is to read the words of Paul for yourself and to be uh, and be changed by what Paul wrote. I love it, Dr. Tom Schreiner. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. The book is Paul, Apostle of God's Glory in Christ. This is the second edition. It's available now. Dr. Schreiner, thank you so much. No, uh, thank you, Carmen, for having me on. Absolutely, anytime. We'll be right back. Okay, so one um, tiny little news bit that, uh, you know, I'll just admit to you, the the major outlets are not covering, but I want you to know. Um, on Monday, President Donald Trump declared January 22nd, that would be today, National Sanctity of Human Life Day. Uh, and so in the proclamation, the president says, says this, on National Sanctity of Human Life Day, our nation proudly and strongly reaffirms our commitment to protect the precious gift of life at every stage from conception to natural death. Uh, the proclamation goes on to say, every person, the born and the unborn, the poor, the downcast, the disabled, the infirm, and the elderly, has inherent value. Although each journey is different, no life is without worth or is inconsequential. The rights of all people must be defended. So on this um, National Sanctity of Human Life Day, I just want to encourage you to lead a life that is worthy of of the calling of Jesus Christ. You are a person of infinite value and infinite worth. Um, Not because culture says so, but because God says so. Uh, In in the eyes and the heart of God, you were worth the life of Christ. Just consider that today when you think about um, your own worth and your own value, the dignity that God places upon you, not just because you're made in his image, but because you are redeemed in his son and animated by his own Holy Spirit. 
So go out there today and lead a life that is worthy of the calling to which you are called in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.